Venerable Rutilio Grande once said, Christ our Savior came to save the entire person, to transfigure it in this sense into a new person, authentically free of all situations of sin and misery. Welcome to the 47th episode of St. Dimpness Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to know that Christ came to save every part of us, everything we are, everything we experience, everything we suffer. And one day we can be absolutely sure we will be free of misery. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, back on July 11th, a man in Ocala, Florida crashed his van through the front doors of a church and then backed out and walked in carrying a large red gas can or a couple of cans. He poured gasoline all over the floor and ignited a large fire in the church. Thankfully, no one was hurt in this tragic event. But the point I want to focus in on here is the mental health of the man who engaged in the behavior. When he was apprehended by police following the incident, the man reported that he had schizophrenia and had not been taking his medication as prescribed. According to the the Ocala Star Banner, quote, he said that what he did was awesome, and he smiled and laughed while he was questioned by the sheriffs at the sheriff's office, referring to himself as the king and saying he was on a mission. He told the detective that he had problems with the Catholic Church and made references to several Bible passages, including some from the book of Revelation, end quote. So there are a couple things uh, I'd like to key in on here. First, the way that this incident is reported shows us quite plainly that stigma runs rampant in our church. People have said some very negative and unkind things about this man who is obviously suffering and deserves our compassion. Second, I think it's really important for everyone to realize the reason that hyper-religious delusions seem to become, uh, seem to be common in these illnesses that have psychosis as a main symptom. Imagine for a moment that you start hearing things that other people can't hear or start feeling like you've been given some sort of knowledge that you didn't have before. Or when you share about this knowledge or these voices and what they're telling you, people say they don't understand. They, they think something's wrong with you and they might even say things like you're crazy. Truly put yourself in the shoes of an individual suffering like this and think through your processing of the events. Who could be putting these voices into your mind? Who would be granting you access to certain information and why? It should be obvious that most of us, when considering why this would be happening, would tend to think about God and the spiritual realm because God is all-powerful and can do things like this, give people special messages, special missions, and we must be special if we're being given uh, all of this by him. Once we're religiously preoccupied, the Bible starts to give us connections we'd never considered before. We start to see things in a whole new way. So I don't mean to justify the actions of this man who was clearly working uh, from a premise caused by his illness, but I do want us to remember to think of him and speak of him with kindness, recognizing his suffering and not calling him deranged or suggesting he's possessed by the devil because the devil wants to attack the church or any other stigmatizing statement like that. Think of this. Have you ever known of someone who acted aggressively or bizarrely because of their blood sugar levels related to diabetes? It can be scary, and yet nobody lines up to blame them, make them feel bad for their behavior or difficulty controlling their illness, or suggest that they're evil or need to be locked up. The same should be true 
for those suffering from mental health issues. Instead of being negative, let's pray for him, thank God that no one was hurt by his actions, and work to help create a system of care where people are better taken care of, where stigma is removed from our church and our culture, and where we can all live a life of helping each other and be willing to understand each other as God calls us to understand each other. On to the next topic, uh, one that you can read about in the New York Daily News. As you well know, there have been uh, a lot of emphasis lately around the idea of defunding the police. And I wanted to spend a couple of minutes specifically focusing on this movement and how it impacts those living with mental illness. Research shows that one in four police shootings involve someone with mental illness. And over the last five years, 16 of the 18 people shot by police in New York, as an example, who had mental illness were persons of color. Now, go from that encounter to the experience of the mentally ill in prisons and jails, and you'll start to see the true impact of the current criminal justice system on those suffering from a treatable illness. It's reprehensible. So as we wade through the conversation about defunding the police or restructuring the police or putting anti-racist training uh, and po uh, into police structures, uh, we have to think also about pro-mental health protections as well. Remember that individuals in a mental health crisis are best helped by mental health professionals and not not police officers. We have to fight for funding for mental health programs rather than just lamenting the fact that mentally ill individuals roam our streets without homes, without help. We have to be a church that stands up on the front lines for people who have been cast aside. And we have to live a life that fights to end stigma and raise awareness. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm here to share a bit about Blessed Miguel Pro. Born in 1891 in Guadalupe, Mexico, José Ramón Miguel Agustín was the third of 11 children in a mining family. Four of these children died as infants or young children. Miguel earned the nickname Cocol for his love of the sweet treat, and as he grew up, he became known for his wit, charity, and speaking ability. In 1911, the Mexican Revolution began around the same time that Miguel began studying for the priesthood. In 1914, due to the intense anti-Catholicism in the government, the Jesuit novitiate he was a part of had to flee and move to Los Gatos, California. From there, he would study for four years in Spain and teach for three years in Nicaragua before coming back to Mexico. The Mexican Constitution, signed in 1917, suppressed Catholicism, banning monastic religious orders, preventing public worship, and restricting religious organizations' rights to own property, and even revoked the civil rights of clergy members. Churches were being closed, priests were being openly killed, and Miguel Pro returned to help in the underground church, celebrating the Eucharist in homes and traveling in disguise to baptize children in secret. Miguel was caught and arrested in 1927 and executed without trial. Trial. The president ordered meticulous photos to be taken of the execution so they could be published in the newspaper the next day as a means of scaring the Cristeros who were fighting against his troops. The images had the exact opposite effect, and to this day we still have the words Miguel spoke just before being martyred. May God have mercy on you. May God bless you. Lord, thou knowest that I am innocent. With all my heart, I forgive my enemies. Long live Christ the King. Wow. 
We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Blessed martyr of the Christ, the King, Father Miguel Pro, you are a special patron of those who labor, those in illness, depression, or despair. You are also a friend of musicians, the captives, and all who work towards social justice. Your beloved brothers, the Jesuits, revere you and count you among the ranks of their saints. You love your people of Mexico and those, those loyal to the church. I thank the Sacred Heart for loving you so dearly. I pray to Our Lady of Guadalupe, whom you love so dearly, to intercede for the cause of your canonization. I pray you remember me in your eternal and well-deserved rejoicing and also my needs, that everyone listening to this podcast receive God's grace and peace and deeply feel his consolation in their hearts this very day. Through your courageous life and martyrdom, you have won the crown of life everlasting. Remember me, Blessed Miguel, for I remember you. Long live Christ the King. Long live Our Lady of Guadalupe. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started, had a pretty bad winter with seasonal affect disorder, withdrawn from friends and family, lots of self-hatred, struggling to believe anyone, even God, loved me. And now that I'm finally over it, I'm feeling more like myself, but I can't shake the immense guilt of being depressed. Any tips on how to move past that guilt? Thank you so much for reaching out, Anonymous, and it's such a great blessing to hear that you're feeling better after this most recent bout with seasonal affective disorder. Let's all take a moment to pray for Anonymous and everyone living with guilt because of their mental health, that the Blessed Mother may intercede for them to feel the peace of Christ this very moment. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So here's something I say a lot uh, to a lot of the people that I meet who have the same experience, this sense of guilt and uh, around behaviors associated with their mental health experience. If you could have made the choice not to withdraw, experience self-hate, or struggle to believe that anyone loved you, you most definitely would have, right? None of us would make a choice to suffer the symptoms of mental health that make our lives more difficult, more chaotic, or even make it a struggle just for us to get out of bed in the morning. If we could choose health, happiness, and hope, we most certainly would. So when we aren't feeling health, happiness, and hope, it is most certainly because of something beyond our control in that moment. This is where mental health experiences come in. They lead us to feel a way uh, and behave in a way that we wouldn't choose to feel or behave if we had the ability to make that choice in the moment. So the point here is that you have to cut yourself some slack, go easy on yourself, and remember that you are not your mental health condition. When you look back and feel guilty because of certain behaviors during a mood episode, remember that it's the illness that caused those behaviors, not you. I also know that insight doesn't automatically make things better. Just hearing and accepting what I just said won't free you of your guilt right away. So here's a couple more tips from the week. Stop magnifying. Ask yourself if your self-punishment fits the crime. It probably doesn't. You are not your actions. You're responsible for your actions, but they don't make you a bad person. Try practicing unconditional self-acceptance. Google it along with the name uh, Albert Ellis if you want to look it up. Self-compassion. Forgiving yourself makes you behave better. Thinking you're a bad person makes you act worse. And ask, what can I learn from this? Torturing yourself doesn't make you a better person, but learning does. 
Uh, Eshoa is next. I was wondering if if you could talk about the emotional support animals for people with anxiety and depression. I feel bad for wanting one because I have people who love me all around me. So let's all join together in praying for Eshoa to be freed from feeling bad and to be able to have easy access to the tools of feeling better. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Emotional support animals are obviously fantastic, in my opinion. Absolutely fantastic, in my opinion, too. I've seen their tremendous benefit both from working at a walk-in mental health clinic and at a residential program where animals came around to work with the kids that lived there. The benefits are just unreal. And since you noted feeling bad about the fact that you want an emotional support animal because you have loving and supportive people around you, I have to say that both of these can exist at the same time. It's great to have supportive loved ones, but an animal that we have uh, a therapeutic relationship with is just different. There isn't all the extra difficulty with communicating or emotional baggage or other difficult things that come up in a relationship with our loved ones. An article you can find online by Brooks et al. titled The Power of Support Animals from Companion Animals for People Living with Mental Health Problems provides some qualitative uh, evidence for the power of emotional support animals. And I thought I'd share some of the quotes to wrap up your question. The dog approaches Karen when she's crying and comforts her by lying next to her and licking away her tears. The dog hears her and wherever he is in the house, he comes to her. We can't always comfort her. Sometimes Karen has said, it's a good thing we have the dog. Otherwise, no one would be able to comfort me. It is very, another quote, it is very important uh, for people not to feel alone and isolated and pets help you feel like you're, like you're everyone else, not less than other people. My birds are very important to me and I think other people with pets feel that way too. Next quote, they don't have input. This is what you should do or maybe you should try this or all the other commentary I get from people who are trying to be helpful in their own right. Their dying devotion and love is true friendship. And one last quote, the dog offers comfort in a different way to how I do, more unconditional. Asa can hold the dog when she is feeling miserable. The dog doesn't ask why or what's happened. Phil brings us home any tips for attention deficit disorder in my seven-year-old and keeping him focused at mass. He has medication during the week for school, but usually not on the weekends. Let's all pray for Phil, his seven-year-old, every child living with ADHD or similar experiences, and everyone who cares for them. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. First of all, blessed be God for your love and care for your son. The fact that you took him to get help and still look to figure out ways to help him even more is just such a blessing. So I would start by saying if we're taking medication, or our children are, we should always be sure to keep our prescribing provider in the loop for everything that's going on. 
So I would suggest letting his pediatrician know or whoever's prescribing his medication that he tends to have a flare up of symptoms over the weekend when uh, he's without meds just to keep him and keep the doctor in the loop, uh, not to push for a change or anything like that unless they recommend it and you agree to it. It is really just uh, super helpful for the provider to understand how the medication is working and affecting your son. And it's it's only done if they're kept closely in the loop. As far as behavioral ideas for helping him and all of our kids to stay focused on the mass, uh, here's what I'm thinking. And some of these come from teachingcatholickids.com. Do a liturgical scavenger hunt. Ask your kids to pay attention to certain elements of the mass, the color of the vestments, the name of the books of the scripture readings that the, the, the scripture readings are taken from, the order of the procession, the options used for the penitential rite, etc. Like have them pay Pay attention to those things and report back to you. Sit up front if this is possible. Sit as close to the front as possible where children have the opportunity to observe the action at mass. Besides being more interesting than the view of the back of someone's head, uh, <laughs> having the opportunity to see what's going on week after week introduces children to the rhythm of the liturgy. Now, I know that won't be practical for everybody, and that's okay, but if you've never tried it, maybe give it a shot. Explain what's going on. Before mass, point out different features of the church, statues, stained glass windows, decorations, the tabernacle and explain what they're about. And then during Mass, quietly during key key moments, uh, say things like, now we're going to hear God speak to us, or we're kneeling because Jesus is about to be here in a very special way, or alternatively redirect a disruptive child by asking him or her to quietly describe what she or he sees happening, right? So uh, if they're disruptive or starting to get disrupted, be like, oh, hey, can you tell me what's going on right now? Like, what's the priest doing? Where are they standing? Invite participation, Children ages three and up can be invited to sing along with the basic responses, such as the Alleluia. Encourage them to genuflect toward the tabernacle as you enter and leave the church and kneel and stand appropriately during Mass. And last, don't be afraid to let your child get up, walk around on the side of the aisle a bit, if at all possible, and even take a break to go outside, stretch their legs, and let out some talking before going back in. We have to remember that our children may have different needs, and that's okay. We have to be willing to accommodate them rather than expect them. Them to be perfect. God bless. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.